The Gym Day Podcast is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Now batting, number one in our hearts. At least he'd like to think so. It's the Gym Day Podcast. Hi, hello, and welcome to the Gym Day Podcast. And it is, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is coming out of my mouth. The Playoff Edition. (sighs) Your Cincinnati Reds in the 2020 playoffs. And uh, we're going to break it down. Uh, The 2020 regular season, as irregular as it was. And look ahead to the playoffs with the Reds, and we're doing so with our expert panel today. From the Athletic, C. Trent Rosecrans, MLB.com, Mark Sheldon, and from your Cincinnati Inquirer, Bobby Nightingale. Thanks for joining us, boys. How we doing? Thank you. All good? We made it to the end of the season. We Now we have to start a whole new season, right? I, I know. Yes, yes. Normally, it's in the past, we would uh, pretty much be wrapped up, and you guys would just be doing your postseason look backs etc but uh we're looking back and looking forward so um let's just get some general thoughts and anyone can jump in on this um 2020 season was it what you expected no it's obviously if we go back to february this is definitely not what we expected but if you go back to july uh i think everyone would here would say that we expected him to make the playoffs but I don't think we expected them to make the playoffs quite in the way they did. Yeah, uh, the offense was supposed to be better, and it was the worst in baseball. And and they're now one of only three teams to get in with the worst offense in baseball. So it, it, it was a different year, not what I expected. But in the end, they made the playoffs. That was Mark Sheldon, everyone. Just so we get used to the voices here. What, what do you think, Trent? It's it's crazy. I was looking at it earlier, and I was like, "What was my pregame or preseason prediction?" I think I might have said thirty-one wins, and at no point in these 60 games did I feel like I had my preseason prediction correct. And yeah. yet at the end you do, you know, I was like, well, you know, they've got to build up the wins early to survive late. And they did the opposite. It was just kind of crazy, but you're in a situation that, that quite honestly is all you needed. You, all you're asking for is a chance in the dance. And this was a team that was kind of built for, postseason with the that one two three top of the rotation that's what you wanted at this point so um yeah it's it's kind of crazy that uh that here we are and it's kind of where we expected but it's like when you get to where you're going but you took the long circuitous circuitous route um like when uh ways sends you on a strange way to get where you're going and you end up where you were and about the time that you expected but you you never expected what you saw along the way yeah what about you bobby yeah i mean just what those guys said i mean definitely didn't expect them two weeks ago to make the postseason if you would have asked me I, i thought they had no chance dead in the water um but i think the version they showed in the last two weeks is kind of what we kind of all expected to see through a 162 game season not winning that many games but um being a, a playoff team with that pitching being able to score runs I think that's kind of what we all expected but I'm just amazed we got here I mean if you would have asked me I remember the first road trip in Detroit 
there was a that was the Cardinals outbreak and after the Marlins outbreak I mean I thought there's no chance we'd get to this point and finish 60 games so I, I'm amazed we we even made it to the finish line I am as well and I, I'm with you Bobby when the 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 outbreaks with the Cardinals and the Marlins and you saw what was going on or you heard rumblings of what was going on in college football and you're like there's just no way that they're going to be able to do this they're not in a bubble and I guess kudos to everyone involved, particularly the, the frontline workers that uh, work with these players and the, the players themselves and the administrators. I mean, they did a fantastic job of managing this. I'm, I'm surprised that we got here. I didn't think we would. But did you guys think you, we would, Mark or Trent? I was pretty skeptical, too. Like, like Bobby said, when the Marlins and, and the Cardinals – had a big outbreak i was like oh boy this isn't good and they're going to start spreading around but i think in a lot of ways that kind of had to happen to scare the rest of the league straight in a yeah. way to see how quickly this could get this could come undone and i give the reds a lot of credit they obviously had one case mm-hmm. that that uh that was a confirmed positive and they kept that one i mean sure matt davidson went out with a possible false you know false test and they had a couple guys that had to sit out while they waited for results but they only had one guy and it didn't spread to the rest of the team. And that's that's a huge uh, kudos to the Reds, honestly, and the rest of Major League Baseball that they were able to finish the season. Yeah. Yeah, like that is – that's really maybe the biggest part of this Reds season. Um, in, if you're looking at it from a macro level for Major League Baseball, the Reds were the ones who did it, even though it seemed like at the time it was kind of chaotic and maybe didn't wasn't uh, ideal – it kind of said, Hey, these protocols are working if you follow them. And the Reds were the kind of the antithesis of the Marlins and the Cardinals. And I almost felt like, you know, once we got the season started, it almost felt like, Oh, will they finish? But then when the Reds got back and there were no more, maybe like a week after you're like, Oh, they're going to finish this thing. They're going to push it through, especially when the Cardinals started playing again. And they had that schedule. It said, you know, there was a point where I was as pessimistic as anybody, and then it was just like, oh no, they're going to finish this hell or high water, and and they did, and 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 kudos to them. I mean, we we had a lot of those one game, um, you know, postponements, and we mm-hmm. saw this whole process get streamlined. Even remember early in the season, which seems like three years ago, when Davidson and Mustakis and those guys were having to sit out, and Senzel, and and, and you know, they had that that time where all three of those guys were out and yet they were able to come back through and, and, and really streamline that process. And there haven't been as many concerns. So it's, uh, I, I don't know, just whenever you think you have something figured out this year, just remember you don't. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. What I'm scared about is we still got a lot of 2020 left. Uh, it's been, I, I mean, the reds are, are one, I guess good spot here in in 2020. Thank goodness, uh, but man, gosh, it's uh, it's been a struggle of a year. But w- I agree with you guys. When you looked at the beginning of the season and their schedule, you were hoping that the if you're a Reds fan that they would rack up wins ag- against the uh, the schedule early on and not have to rely on winning late. And it was just the opposite. I mean, on September 1st, they lost to the Cardinals 16 to two. They were six games under 500. They'd lost three in a row by a combined score of 33 to eight. And 
I'm not anyone outside the clubhouse. I'm not. There are probably guys in the clubhouse that doubted whether they could do it. And then you not only roll off victories and five straight series victories, but to do it against the teams that they did, uh, beating the Cardinals in St. Louis, uh, beating your division rival Milwaukee. Yeah, they played Pittsburgh in the middle of it, but it was four games, and they won all four. They took care of business. And then you've got the White Sox and the Twins, Brewers in there. Um, Twins hadn't lost a home series all season, and they take two out of three. I was shocked. I, I mean, I'm always optimistic, but I was shocked. How shocked were you guys that they rolled off five straight series victories? I, I was expecting some nice time off. Watch the playoffs <laughs> at home. <laughs> I mean, when it comes down to it, it's all about me. So, um, yeah, I was expecting some time off, and it was just – honestly, it was just crazy. The whole the whole season has, has been – one surprise after another um so yeah no like you just you just saw a different team after that and um it was a team that believed it would win and i don't know what what keeps sticking out to me and i think i even said this to him the other day it's like david bell was kind of the same the whole time he's like i think we're gonna break through i think we're gonna break through where you almost got to where you rolled your eyes but yet he was right in the end and they did break through and they did just play well. And um, when, when you were built on pitching like they were, you knew those guys were coming every day. So you had a shot every day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, besides being six under on the second, they were also six under on the 12th. And that's uh, right around, I, I think uh, on the 11th is when Castillo had his uh, complete game. Mm-hmm. They still lost the game after, but then they won that series on the third on the uh, 14th it was the one where they they won 10 to 5 and they had to make three comeback attempts to uh to, to win the game and i felt like and david called that the best win of the year and that kind of felt like that's when it started uh part two i guess to to kind of come back and i again i was making my offseason relaxation plans and all that but you know, there's a lot of people in the middle of this month in the earlier part of this month that were calling for people's jobs. If you remember? Oh no. David was on the hot seat. He was a big time on on the hot hot seat. seat. Dick Williams and their heads. Yeah. They were calling for heads. And it's funny. You don't hear about those people right now, but you know, it's a credit to David and to Dick and to to Nick. They, they stuck with the plan there. They were, they believed in that plan. They kept on talking about analytical stuff that, made sense but of course it didn't really satisfy anybody that they were you know hitting the ball hard and just not getting the holes that wasn't going to cut the mustard for people but they stuck with it and they made the playoffs they went 11 and 3 down the last 14 games i really thought a big turning point was the uh two double header against pittsburgh after they had won the st louis series you had trevor bauer shoved in game one and he gave up that homer to tie the game in the seventh inning against i think colin moran it seemed like it was like, okay, that's that's where this team has kind of faltered all year. It's like one bad thing goes wrong. They don't get enough hits. And then Tyler Stevenson hit the walk-off. I think Mike Moustakis hit a go-ahead homer in game two. That You knew they had to sweep Pittsburgh, even though it was Pittsburgh. They struggled against them for so long. I felt like that was the first time I felt like, okay, maybe they could actually go on a run. Um, but before that, I mean, I, I think I wrote, I mean, after Castillo's complete game that they lost the next day. I said their playoff hopes are over um, just because I, I didn't think they could ever get back to 500, let alone finish the season above 500. Yeah. Everyone uh, kind of earmarked. If you finish 500, you're probably in with eight teams from each league. 
Uh, how important do you think it was? I mean, it's important to the fans. It's important to us to no doubt that they have had a winning season by winning that final game in in Minnesota. Uh, do you think it's important to the players? I mean, they just wanted to get into the playoffs, I know. But do you think it's important that it was a winning season instead of a 500 season or even a losing season? How important do you think that is? I think in, in many ways it's probably more important for, for David and the coaches and and the front office, but because you look at the Brewers, they're 29, 31 and they're in. And I don't think any of those players are going to complain that they got in and that's all they really wanted. Yeah. It sounds better. It certainly sounds, you know, I know a couple of guys yesterday, like farmer and Sonny gray, certainly like the idea of having a winning record and having momentum. Um, but I really do think it, it's one of those things like in the NCAA tournament, you just get in and then you worry about, you don't worry about the record. There's bigger things you have to worry about. And I, and I think just by doing that, but it's good psychologically for the fan base. I think that's good I, to have a winning record. I think yesterday's win was actually bigger, not for the 31 and 29, but the five straight series wins, especially going into this first round where it's a three game series. They have won all these. They won them. They won this one in Minnesota, um, which is one of the best teams in the American league. They won this you know, against good teams. They did it against the White Sox as well. It just kept, keeps that momentum going and that belief in kind of how they've been playing. And I think it was more important that they won the series to do those five series than to be 31 and 29. Yeah. When you yeah, uh, I think, go ahead, I think just beating, the, beating the twins. I mean, I think that just says a lot about where they are. I mean, the White Sox had the best record in the American league when they played them, but I mean, doing that, I mean, the Braves are going to be just as good as the the Twins are. Their offense is just as deep. I think they needed to prove it to themselves to say, going to the playoffs, we can we can beat anyone. And if you're going to say that, you kind of have to back it up. And they did over the weekend. Yeah, no doubt about it. When you look at the numbers, uh, the the money they spent in the offseason to improve their offense, the players they already had, and you look at these offensive numbers, it is mind-boggling, one, that they – one down the stretch, um, even though their offense you know, seemingly came around a little bit, although heavily reliant on the home run ball. Um, but how surprising that to you guys that the offense throughout, though, especially batting average and just getting on base in general, was so low, not only with the Reds, many teams throughout Major League Baseball. Yeah, I mean, I mean you look at it, Christian Yelich, had a terrible season when you look at those things. Yeah. It's it is that 60 game sample that everybody talks about. It's just a 60 game sample. It's not a true um a true measure of, of a player's talent. I think we heard this early. A lot of guys saying, like, our individual stats don't matter this year. They just don't. Um, if is you know, is a Eugenio Suarez a two oh two hitter or whatever he was? Um, no. Uh, he's a 17 bomb and 60 or 15 bombs and 60 game hitter. Uh, but it just is so much different that you look around. Chris Bryant was his statistics were terrible. Christian Yelich, um, you know, all these guys that, you know, are better players than that. It's, it is a byproduct of the 60 games. Yeah. It'll come out after the season, like how much guys were pressing and almost like, like if you're a Eugenio Suarez, you look on the scoreboard and you're 30 games into the season and you see you're hitting 160. Like I have to think that plays in the back of his mind. And for a lot of guys who got off to bad starts, it's like, this is the worst year of my life. I'm not a 160 hitter, but 
in a 60 game season, that's how I'm going to be defined. So I, I do think that played a, a thing in their thinking, especially when the Reds were slumping for as long as they did. I mean, their August offensively was one of the worst in baseball history. If you go by batting average and some of the things they did. You also can't forget though. I mean, not only was the whole league, I mean, I'm trying to put myself in the position of these players and, and, you know, you got guys that are worried about getting COVID. You got guys worried about their families getting COVID. You got guys that haven't seen their families or their newborn kids, you know, since they, the day they were, they came out and they had to go back to work and play. And I know they're millionaires and they're being well compensated to do this, but I can't imagine that was easy to take into the batter's box with them at any point. And, you know, we expect these guys to be robots and to perform, you know, for our amusement at all times, but it's, I can't believe some of the guys that had to do that, you know, Mike Moustakis, Eugenio Suarez, Anthony DiScofani, uh, Nate Jones all had babies during Tucker Barnhart. Tucker Barnhart. And then they promptly left them and didn't see them probably for the rest of the season, some of these guys. And I would think that would be a hard thing to carry into, into, uh, into a game and have to focus. And so I, I don't, I'm not saying it's a, an excuse for it, but I definitely think league wide, I, 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 the Reds are not the only team that went through this. Every team did. And yeah. I think some guys handled it better than others. And some guys got used to it and figured it out. And some guys just started clicking and there's no rhyme or reason to some of it. On the flip side, the starting pitching, how enjoyable take yourself back from just being a writer where you're, being objective but you're covering a team and it's much easier to cover a team that's winning and it's successful let's be honest about it um how enjoyable was it to watch these starting pitchers this season particularly uh you know Castillo went on a roll at, at the end of the season and and Sonny Gray was uh you know had his moments but Trevor Bauer I mean Trevor Bauer uh how fun was this guy to watch well I, I think I think Bobby is the only one who can't relate to this, but Jim, you, me, and Mark remember what it was like to go to the ballpark every day after the trade deadline in 2015. Oh yeah. Got to score eight to win tonight. But, but also (laughs) you knew you were in for a long slog of games. Yeah. Starting pitching can make going to the ballpark so much easier. Oh yeah. It's so much better because you know, it's just like, ball you know it's like major league ball eight ball 12 you know it just kept going and and that i mean think think of all the starters they had in 2015 after the trade deadline a rookie made every start yeah it was brutal and it wasn't much better in 2016 yeah i mean i go back to 2012 remember what it was like you know and that rotation was unreal that year and you had cueto latos leak um, I know I'm forgetting a couple of Bailey, Bailey, Homer Bailey, Royal. Five and, guys yeah. made all starts outside of that doubleheader, the one doubleheader. So, I mean, you, you look at that rotation, and then we didn't see that after 2013 for obviously six years. And so, yeah, it, it was cool to be able to come to the ballpark and know that there was going to be a story, probably no matter what. And it was going to be these guys shoving. And, and if it wasn't, they, they got beat. That was a story, too. So it was always interesting watching Bauer pitch. It was always interesting watching Sonny Gray pitch and Luis Castillo. Uh, they're just incredibly talented pitchers. And when they're on, and if the other pitcher or the other team is on, it's a real fun thing to watch a pitching duel. I thought Bauer's start on short rest that Wednesday against the Brewers. I mean, that, that was the biggest game of the red season if they lose that game. I don't know 
they probably sneak into the playoffs, but it would have been a lot harder. Um, but him pitching eight innings on short rest, I mean, that was probably top five, top ten performances I've seen live. Um, pitching oh, was incredible. And then watching him just yelling out there, it was animated. I mean, it was, you know, there's not a lot of games you're like, wow, that was dramatic. Uh, and that night was. That, that was that was so fun to watch. Um, you know, I talked about this on the air a few times. The biggest difference to me was the days that those guys were off or weren't didn't have their best stuff. In the past, red starters don't have their best stuff. They're getting killed. They're out of the game in the third. It's six nothing, you know. These guys were able to, even on their off days or off nights, were able to keep the team in the game, giving up one, maybe two runs um, in, in an outing. That that was the biggest difference to me, that you can be off but still be that good and still have a chance every night to win. Would you Would you agree? Or disagree? Yeah, there weren't a lot of games they were completely out of it this year. You mentioned the 16-2. to two, And you know, they had a couple other games where, you know, Sonny had a bad game. Um, you know, very few, though, like were blowouts that I, I felt like they had no chance. I mean, the offense wasn't hitting, but most of the time the pitchers gave them a chance. Yeah. Uh, how impressive was Mike Moustakis down the stretch? It's just that steadiness. And I think that's the biggest thing is, like, with Moustakis, it never – you know, everything, we even got it caught up into it. And you talked about, oh, man, that was huge. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's all right. I mean, he's played in a game seven of the world series. Mm -hmm. He's won a world series. You know, these games aren't big to him. Call him in October. And I, I think there's like, kind of, like I said, with David Bell, there's that steadiness and that, that even keeledness that while you want those highs and you want to feel those lows, you want someone to be like, just kind of going along and, and, and make everybody keep their eye on what is happening in the long game. So I mean, that was just – it just seemed like at the end when you needed that hit, he was up there and he came through. Yeah. When, when we were in Arizona, I mean, it just seemed like everyone always gravitated to him, his locker. They were, like, asking for stories about playoffs. And I'm sure that happened a lot during the season. We just couldn't see it. Um, but he was always kind of that guy. I mean, players talked about when he was injured or when he was on the COVID list and wasn't playing, how much they missed him. And it was weird because he'd only been with the team – you know, playing for like two weeks and they're like, we need him back in the lineup. You, you don't realize how much we miss him. And, you know, you just had that presence. And like Prent said, I mean, he was just steady. I remember trying to ask him after a game, I think it was the go ahead homer in Pittsburgh in the double header, you know, that was his biggest homer as a red. I mean, that saved their season at the time. And he, he just kind of brushed off, like, that's not a big homer for me. Um, yeah. And just kind of what the Reds expected from him. And I, he was right. Yeah. And I'm with you, Bobby. I I was amazed that they they used the term more than one guy said he is the unquestioned leader on this team. I'm like, he's been here for a cup of coffee. How did this happen? I don't know if this is an indictment on what has happened in the clubhouse before, or is it just the ultimate compliment to Mike Mustakas that he's always been this way? So I'm like, I you know, I contacted the people in Milwaukee that I deal with in Kansas City, and I'm like, is this is this how he's been? He's like, yeah, that's that's Mustakas. That's that's what he's been. That's what you got. So and, in a very that's short what Dick amount Williams of time, said they wanted. Yeah, you know, that is why they signed him. And it and also, I mean, I think you also have to look at when they signed him in the offseason. He was the first big signee, and it was like, hey, we're serious. We got this guy 
who is quote unquote a winner and he's kind of the bell cow. And I, I think that played a part into Castellanos coming and some Mm -hmm. of these other things were, it's set an expectation early that we're serious and we want to win. And we're not worried about the regular season. We're looking for the postseason. Yeah. There's a, there's a media day in the spring in Arizona. And I remember Trent was standing next to me when we were both talking to uh, Joe Madden and he had never managed Moustakas, but he said, that's, that's the, when Trent asked about the off season, he goes, that's the number one move they made. And we were like, I, I expected him to name Castellanos just based on. Right. How- we were asking about Castellanos because yeah, he had Castellanos and, and like, you know, there was the every day is opening day type thing. Well, Mike Moustakis, it's opening day, screw opening day. I'm here for October. Yeah. Madden, I mean, he raved about Moustakis. He was like, that's by far the best move they made. Wow. Yeah, it, it's true. And and Bobby and I were just sitting there. And I, I remember Bobby and I were talking to him. And I think we're, we're kind of both working the same idea. And then it happened. One of the other signings, Shogo Akiyama, you know, in mid 60 game sprint, you're like, hmm, not quite translating from Japanese baseball to the big leagues. Um, and you never know when you're you're going to sign a, a player from Japan. And then you're like, OK, well, you know, again, it's a small sample size and, and no one probably was affected more by this COVID thing than, than Shogo. He's a routine guy, um, shutting down spring training and then having to ramp back up. Um, down the stretch, turned it around. How impressed were you guys that he was not only getting hits, but getting on base? His on-base percentage was up there. He's a fundamental guy. He doesn't have a great arm, but he's always hitting the cutoff man. He's always in the right spot, seemingly. Um in the end, do you think it translated, Mark? Yes. I think, just like the guy said about Moustakis, this guy has a track record. And I don't think he was – I mean, he wasn't happy, obviously, not doing well and becoming a platoon player at times and, and didn't drop in the leadoff spot. But I think he had faith in his process, and he knew that once he could get adjusted, he could compete here. And, and he even said that this, the velocity of the of the major league pitchers kind of caught him off guard a little bit, and he had to adjust. And he had that that one hit he got against you, Darvish, uh, late in August, and that kind of turned it around for him. Then he kind of clicked in, and he realized that he could do this. And, and then you saw him uh, a lot of times with the two-strike approach, just fouling balls off to the left side until – he got one he liked, and that's that was more like what we were expecting, an on-base machine, a guy who will make pitchers work, a guy who will set things up from the top of the order. So, yeah, I think his game does translate here. He's not going to be the home run hitter. I mean, he had 20, I think, last year in Japan. I don't think he's going to hit a lot of home runs in the major leagues. He hit zero, obviously, this year. Um, but he's going to be a guy for them, and I think that will be the, the good leadoff guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I had it, you know, his first 32 games – he was hitting 189, 274, 242. And you're like, oh, is this uh, Tsuyoshi Nishioka, you know, who played for the Twins and, mm-hmm. and was a big signee and just didn't didn't um, pan out. After that, 333, 474, 383. That 474, I mean, that's all he was ever asked to do. That was huge. His team said, don't worry about home runs. Just be on base when somebody else hits them. And, yep. and that was what he was. I think one thing you have to, that you can't 
um, ignore as much is nobody needed a full spring training more mm. than Akiyama. No doubt. And him missing all or the spring training being cut short really probably hurt him as much as anybody in baseball to get acclimated to both the velocity, the new pitchers and the new umpires. Remember how early he kept getting called out looking on strikes. And then it seemed like that would happen less. His, his strikeout rate on that time went down about 5%. Um, his walk rate doubled um, between the, around that, that um, August or September 2nd date. So he just became, you could tell he could become, become he'd become comfortable. And when it, it seemed like when he was going well, everything went to left center. And when he was hitting it to left center, he was on a roll. Yeah. I do wonder if at the time, like the Brian Goodwin trade, another left-handed hitting outfielder, another speedy guy who can also play center. If Senzel, you know, he was coming back from the, the injured list around that time, beginning his rehab assignment. If Akiyama doesn't start hitting at that point, I do think he was going to get benched for Goodwin. And I, I don't know if that played a, into his hot streak at all, but it was like right after they acquired Goodwin, that's when he took off. And I wonder if that had an effect just saying, you know, he had to know in the back of his mind we're similar outfielders and only one of us is going to play uh, when Senzel and Cassianos are healthy. Speaking of benching, there was a big moment for David Bell in this season that in the end might, I don't want to say be forgotten, but kind of swept under the rug. When he didn't play Joey Votto for three games, benching Votto's words, not David Bell's. Um, but when Votto sat out and then all of a sudden he came back and he's got a, he's standing up more upright in the box. He's not choking up as much. All of a sudden he's hitting the some rockets. He's hitting for a little more power. Um, that was a big moment for this team, not only for Votto, not only for David Bell, but it seemed like the players kind of fed off of it as well. Do you agree? I mean, Kyle Farmer talked about it yesterday. He said that, you know, we're kind of asking about turning points. And he said that was a turning point that the rest of the team noticed, not just that, that Joey got benched by, by David, but how Joey took it and what he started doing and how he switched in the middle. And he was like, yeah, we just jumped on his back. We saw it. It, it's, it was a big one. And, and also don't forget that it was right then that it was right after that you had the benches clearing thing against the Cubs where Anthony Rizzo said something to David Bell and the first guy out was Joey Votto. Yeah. Yeah. Joey, Joey felt threatened. I think in a lot of ways after that, he even said that, you know, you kind of, you, you, you take a moment to sit down and you realize that your, your season's in jeopardy. The team could be, you know, having the postseason taken away from it. And then he kind of just talked about he's going to lose stuff if he doesn't figure it out. And he used those three days to, to get right and make some changes. And they started clicking in. He, he stopped worrying, I think, so much about his, his batting average and his on-base percentage. And he focused a little bit more on power and hitting home runs. But he ended up still taking some walks and doing better. And I, I think it was a wake-up call for a lot of people saying, hey, if David Bell is going to bench Joey Votto, then – Maybe, you know, that I think that's that upped his street cred a little bit. And I think it was great on Joey that he was a, a leader and he didn't complain about it, at least publicly. And, and he took it really well. And 
that that was a huge part of the season. And and like Trent mentioned, the bench clearing thing showed exactly where Joey was on the on the you know for David. He he wasn't gonna let anybody talk to his manager that way, and even one that just benched. Yeah. I just think it was a great sign that he showed his power is still there. Not that he has to prove anything, but just the fact that, you know, he is getting older. He turned 37 this month. And the fact he's still, I think he had 11 homers or 12 homers to end the season, which was just about two years ago. I think that was his total. And I think he had 15 last year. I mean, he hasn't been a home run guy. And the fact that the Reds needed him, if he's not going to get on base at a 400 clip, he's got to start hitting for power. And he showed he could do that still. Yeah, I think the day after his birthday, didn't he hit the hardest home run in, since StatCast existed? It's yeah. like 113 or some of that? Yep. He has it. Yep, no doubt about it. I it, it was interesting. He changed his approach. I never thought he would ever change his approach to, you know, worrying about on-base percentage first. But they were throwing – they were attacking him. It, it was much different the way that pitchers were attacking him. They were throwing him fastballs in the zone early. And Joey was swinging early at first pitches a lot, uh, which was very much different than what we've seen. But – he totally changed his approach, was trying to hit the ball for power, and a lot of times the best pitch he would get in a bat would be the first pitch of a bat because they were they were attacking him. Um, bullpen, going into the playoffs. Earlier on in the season, train wreck. Not good. Kind of an under – is it an underrated portion of this team going into the playoffs the way that they've turned it around, your guys' estimation? I think nationally. Like every time I hear like – someone who hasn't followed the team, they always point to that as the biggest weakness, like, oh, their bullpen, their bullpen's going to struggle in the postseason. But if you look at the last month, I mean, they've been as, as good as anybody. Rysel Iglesias has been lights out in his last six or seven appearances. Amir Garrett and Lucas Sims have been really good. I, I just think everyone kind of fit into their role now. Everyone knows what they need to do. Um, it helps Michael Lorenzen's back on track, and he, he can fit any role. TJ Antone, but they have a lot of pieces that, if they're all pitching well, it, it fits for them. What stands out to me as well going into the playoffs is if a starter's not on, they get a quick hook in the playoffs, and you've got you've got guys like Lorenzen and, and Antone and perhaps Malley who can eat up a lot of innings that have been starters. Those guys can be huge weapons in the playoffs. Uh, I, yeah, Lucas Sims, like, like Mark was starting to say. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, you just look at it and Wade Miley too. Wade yeah. Miley's a guy who's a left-hander can come right. in. And if you have a stacked lineup with a bunch of lefties, you have Miley coming in and Lorenzen, what he was able to do. I mean, he, he looked so much better in that role than he did in any other role. Yeah. And, but if it's even a hybrid of that, he can go three or four innings on demand. What weapon is that? Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. yeah, and, and don't and don't forget about Amir Garrett too, who was so good at retiring that first batter, which is I know an underrated sometimes stat that people don't look at, but it's it's a big deal to come in and not create more trouble. He got left-handers out really well as usual, but he also got the right-handers out, and he he was pretty pretty darn filthy this year, and he he just did a really nice job, and I think he was underrated because he had faded in the, the previous two years and the concept of a, of a 60 game schedule and the way they used him, they were a little bit more selective in how they used him. He didn't have a fade. He was, he was pretty strong all the way throughout. I don't I know. Who, who's Amir Garrett. I, 
I know AG on the mound is does Amir Garrett pitch? Yes. Yes, AG. Excuse yeah, okay, me. yeah, okay. That's who I thought you were talking about. AG. Sorry, Bobby. Go ahead. I just think you have to give the front office credit too for at the trade deadline getting Archie Bradley. I think that gave him an extra dimension in the you know, having an eighth inning guy in front of Iglesias. Because when you know at the trade deadline, it wasn't a guarantee they were gonna add anybody. I mean, it was tough just to stand pat, I think, uh, with how bad the team was playing at that point. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, you could have understood that. I mean, the, the trade deadline's another huge turning point because you could have, I mean, you could have almost seen it like the Cardinals did that, where they just kind of hedged their bets and they said, okay, we built this team. And this is a team that did a lot in the offseason. And you could have said, well, we still believe in this team. We, we feel pretty like we constructed it well. And you fall short and you're like, yeah, well, the schedule, all this. But they went out and added and you know, both those guys, they weren't the huge, it wasn't like the splash. It wasn't like when a team goes out and gets that difference maker at the thing, but those guys were difference makers. They were just smaller differences. And, and the Archie Bradley's another guy that, you know, how about his two innings in St. Louis on that Sunday? Yeah. I mean, those were as two big innings pitched as there were all season. Yep. Well, I hope you are enjoying uh, the fact that I have upped the IQ level on this podcast, and we'll continue our conversation in a moment after these messages from Kroger. Hey, Reds fans, you love Trolley Sour Gummy Candy, right? Well, Trolley has done the unthinkable and made them even better. Introducing new Trolley Crunchy Crawlers. Trolley Crunchy Crawlers have everything you love about the original sour, bright crawlers, but with a thin, crunchy candy shell. With three great flavors, they strike the perfect balance of sweet and sour in every bite. Trolley Crunchy Crawlers want to be best buds with your taste buds. Look for new Trolley Crunchy Crawlers at Kroger stores throughout Reds country. Love getting prices that are lower than low on backyard favorites like grill-ready hamburgers and fresh-picked strawberries? Then shop at Kroger. We give you more ways to save on the fresh you love with tools like the Kroger app, where you can find personalized coupons on top of weekly sales, plus rewards like fuel points, giving you prices that are lower than the everyday low. Kroger, fresh for everyone. All right, we're back with C. Trent Rosecrans, Mark Sheldon, and Bobby Nightingale. Bobby Nightingale. You know, by the way, it's a great baseball name, Bobby. Bobby Nightingale leading off. I digress. I just wish I could play a little bit better. <laughs> Don't we all? It's Robert Montgomery Nightingale. Wow. Hadn't thought about that one. Hmm. Close. Close. Yeah. Um, this season, just like the year 2020, was extremely unusual. Um, you guys, one, were in a different press box, Great American Ballpark. You're now down the left field line. We have no access to the clubhouse, which is the life and blood of a writer. And even what I do, it's the life and blood to get information. All of a sudden, we've got the same interviews and the same information. Um how weird was it? Silently weird. Uh, well, at the, I don't want to sound like we're complaining, first of all, because it was. Yeah, let's preface it. We're not. We're covering baseball. We understand there are bigger fish to fry in society, and there are a lot of people that are struggling right now. So it's all relative. But I, yes. 
but from the day of summer camp began and going into this, it, it was weird. Uh, when the game started, it was always weird not going to the ballpark at three o'clock like we normally do. I, I would sometimes show up 15 minutes before first pitch because we did all our Zooms at home, packed up and went. I guess the overriding thing besides being weird, it wasn't the most fun season. It, it, it definitely blurred. I'm sure a lot of people in any job could say that their lines were blurred. There was no commuting. There was no your work came home with you and, and you had to do a lot of different things. So it was a different year. It was a weird year. I, I called it the longest short season ever in some ways, but at the same time, we got, I think the three of us can say we all kind of found our stride and we got used to it. And we, we helped each other out by splitting up the transcribing and we, we kind of, we found a way to, to do it and we got through it and hopefully we never have to do this again next season. My, my wife last night was talking about how great it was that it started late and I was around all the time and I was like, and it just flew by and it was great. Wow. That's unusual and weird right there. You're the you only, the only wife about? on the planet that wanted husband around more. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, like I was just shocked. I mean, cause I was like, wait, it, it's been like seven months. It's just been so long and yeah. I've been here and it just, I think, and again, this, like Mark said, uh, this is certainly not unique to us. I think everybody is dealing with this in their own way, but like all concept of time, you know, time is relative. And this one was, it, it, it was, it just took forever. It was the longest season I can remember. And, yeah. you know, I was there in 2016. So was Mark. That was a long season. <laughs> this one was longer. And uh, it, it was it was just insane. Um, I will say this about the press box. I, I think it's really nice. I, uh, I expected it to be, to hate it. And um, it was kind of interesting to have a different view on the game. You know, we had been at that press box and just that amazing view that you saw us tweet pictures out of yeah. all the time. I mean, we had been there forever and we saw the game from that level and you kind of thought of the game from that level. And it was kind of just interesting to have that little jarring bit to see the game differently. So I don't know. It, it was fine. Um, I expected that that view to be taken away from us after the All-Star game. So we got a couple more years in than I expected. And hey, um, you know, we were actually got the, the, the three of us and, and Jim too, we got to be in the ballpark. Yeah. And you want to talk about not taking something for granted. I don't want to take that for granted. We got to be there. And that, I mean, honestly, opening day was one of those days that felt like you were super special. Um, you just think yeah. about how people in this town go crazy for opening day tickets and the status symbol that that is, you know, the four of us here were among the very, very few to be there that day. And then later days. And it was, um, it was something I'll always remember. Yeah, I, I kind of I, I held myself back and like like I didn't do much on social media at all this year. Uh, one reason there's a lot of people that, you know, are not furloughed or they're out of work. And I didn't want to like celebrate and revel in the fact of, hey, look, I'm working. Um, it's kind of I don't know. I kind of backed off and I felt bad about being at the games and fans weren't there. It, it, it was weird. It was weird that I, you know felt so bad that that we were there and no fans were there bobby i saw you were going to say something just i mean i, I would be i think we're all grateful for rob butcher the director of media relations that we, we were able to talk to a, 
usually as as many players as we usually would in a season. It felt like, I mean, there weren't days where I felt like we didn't get a chance to talk. I think the only thing we lost, the biggest thing we lost was just being in the clubhouse, especially when they're struggling to see kind of the mood of the team. I mean, it's one thing to get up in front of a camera in a formal press conference type setting and talk about how the team is struggling. But you could, you see a little bit more behind the scenes when you're actually there. Um, and one thing I, I do think that helped me at least was Trevor, Trevor Bauer has his vlog going. And, you know, it was a kind of a cool behind the scenes look to see kind of what the clubhouse was like. I mean, it was different for those guys too. I mean, there was breaks between each locker and some visiting places. They were in diff three different rooms. I mean, it, it was a lot different for everybody involved. And, um, you know, it, like, like Trent said, it'll be something we'll remember forever. And, and, and to kind of piggyback on what Bobby said about Rob and Jamie and Larry, you know, Jamie Ramsey, Larry Herms, those guys, I mean, I, I don't know that Rob had 12 hours off <laughs> in a row at any point this that season. That guy worked harder than anyone. No, no doubt. Um, we, we do the Baseball Writers Association, uh, the local chapter does uh, like a good guy award. I voted for Rob Butcher. Um, he, he was unbelievable. And, and I, I give a lot of credit to the players as well. Yeah. I mean, when they were struggling, we would ask, like, when Rysel Iglesias blew some saves, Rysel came in. Yeah, You know, those – Michael Lorenzen, he was struggling. We said, we want to talk to Michael. Michael came in. Those guys – and I think a lot of that has to do with the respect that they have for Rob. Mm -hmm. um, but I give – I mean, I give all those guys credit on this team that, for the most part, they showed up. And it was – it was not easy um, and probably not fun, but those guys did it. It was, I was, it went a lot smoother than I expected. Now I never, ever, ever want to be on a zoom again, but um, yeah. it, it, it went a lot better than expected. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, players would come in and they, they would say, oh, I miss you guys. You know, I think they're looking for normalcy too. And I'm like, wow, are they sincere about this? Because normally, you know, the media is allowed in the clubhouse at a certain time. And when we walk in there, we're like a herd of cattle. We're all in one big group walking in. It's like, here comes the media, you know. Beat it, nerd. Thank you. Yes. And a few players would direct yeah, Billy Hamilton, Luis Castillo. One, one correction. They, yeah. they wouldn't say they missed the media. They would say they missed Jim Day. First no, time. no, no, no. They'd yeah, say they very much. <laughs> no, they would say. Hey, Eugenio and Luis Castillo. <laughs> every, every time Luis would be like, where's Jim Day? <laughs> yeah, I would always be. I'm one of the Zoom guys that doesn't always turn his camera on. So it would just be my name. So they're, they're ragging on me. Either. But no, seriously, they would say, miss you guys. And I think they do miss that normalcy. And now they realize, okay, it's not so bad to sit around and chew the fat with these guys. Did you feel like that they miss you guys? Sincerely? I think they do. I think most of them did, maybe, or some of them did. I know some people that didn't. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, unfortunately, it doesn't come across all the time in to the public, but we can be professional and have a good working relationship with these guys yeah. and we can shoot the breeze. And there's a lot of things that we may talk about that Denver may get into a story, but then sometimes it doesn't form a story later down the road. And, you know, you, you build these relationships over the years and guys get comfortable with you as opposed to some random person who shows up and, and sticks a microphone in your face. I think it's, it does help us and helps them that they there's familiarity and there's trust. And, uh, 
certainly that was lost this year, but at the same time, I think we, and credit to the other, you know, Bobby and Trent, I, I, and especially Rob and Larry and Jamie, I don't think we missed much. I don't, I don't know if people could have told looking at our stories that we were doing this by zoom. Um, and I, I think that's, that's a credit to everybody because it, it, the stories didn't seem that abnormal to me. Yeah. I think, I think what we had looked thing, but I, I can't imagine what we missed, you know, and nuance is a lot. hard. Yeah. Nuance is hard to get on zoom and um, it's, it's hard over the phone. It's hard, harder, even in text. Um, so we missed a lot of nuance and there's a lot of times I mean, Bobby and Mark and Jim, you guys have all been there where a guy will say something and he'll do his camera answer and it's on the record answer. Oh yeah. And then everybody leaves and you get a little bit more and it's not really excuses. Cause like if they wanted excuses, they would do it on camera, but it's more like an understanding. And, uh, you know, I know all four of us feel like we understood a lot less this year and that can come through. And, uh, you know, like, I don't know. I know very little about Mike Moustakis or, or Nick Castellanos or even, even Trevor Bauer. I, I got to know, you know, tr- you know, I got to talk to Trevor a little bit more in, in last year and the spring training, but I was on something the other day and they're like, what's it like to cover Trevor Bauer? I said, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. And like, that. what's it like to cover Nick Castellanos? Hell if I know. Yeah. Um, the fact yeah, that Mike I mean, Moustakis is the team Mark. leader and I barely know the dude is highly unusual. At this point, we would all be, we would have bugged Mike Moustakis so much. We would have been around his locker so many times and listened to him talk. We would know so much about him and we don't. It's the weirdest thing. It's it's very strange to try to, because it's your job. We're the conduit to the public and it's your job to, to bring these guys to humanize them at some point. And it's so hard when you're not around them and you're staring at your computer screen. I mean, think of all the gags we missed. I mean, somebody brought it up on zoom the other day that when Ryan Ludwig was on the team, they invented a cup, you know, the Ohio cup happened and then they created a cup for every, for every city they went to. And that became kind of a running gag and it, it eventually made its way into the stories and, and, all the little nuances, like Trent mentioned, yeah, we miss nuance. I will still say though that I think the public still got some good stories. They just could have gotten better stories if we were in the yeah. clubhouse. And obviously, we understand we couldn't be. But those are the little things we missed. The gong, you know, I don't know if we ever would have been in the clubhouse with the gong when it was being banged on, but we would have known about it earlier. We would have known about it, yeah. and so there's little things like that that we missed. And and I'm sure there were some big things that we missed. We have no idea how these guys handled a COVID scare. We'll never know how some of the things that went on. I mean, somebody I think said, we don't even know the half of what happened in that clubhouse this season. And he's, he's definitely right. Yeah. Or we missed Billy Hamilton getting stuffed into a trash can. Roxton could move, man. <laughs> that dude was deceptively was quick. When he, we're, we're in Miami, right? Days ever. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we were in Miami. Oh. It was like the, um, what's the old, like, is it a Looney Tunes cartoon with the big bulldog and Spike and the little yeah. thing jumping around him? And it was exactly like that. Like, <laughs> Billy was the little dog thinking, like, Spike can't catch me. And, like, Broxton just, I mean, it was lightning quick and just grabbed him, picked him up, stuffed him in a, in a uh, trash can. Like it a was, rag doll. 
just like oh my god it was unbelievable billy got on her she said keep talking you're gonna pay for this keep on (laughs) so anyways yeah we missed a lot of humorous moments behind the scenes uh no doubt mark mark brought up the the covid scare i just remember the day they found out about the positive test i think jim you were the sideline guy talking to jesse winker yeah didn't even notice what was going on yeah, but I mean, you could just tell he was so subdued. I mean, for, I think he had two homers that game, and you, you could just tell he didn't want to be on Yeah, camera. the first thing I thought, like, did I tick Winker off? Because he is being very standoffish. How do you, how do you tick Jesse Winker off? <laughs> Call strike three? Yeah, well, <laughs> aside from an umpire, how do you make Jesse Winker mad? Kind of like David Bell. Nicest yeah, exactly. guy in the world, unless, like, you see blue. Kind yeah. of like the bull sees red. Yeah. Those guys see blue. Or if you're Clint Hurdle. <laughs> that's a different story i've again silenced the crowd um all right that's lo- looking back I, I before i uh turn you guys loose i want to look forward um here we are you know we get all happy about they made it into the playoffs but now now you really got to do it they're a seven seed they're going to face the braves the braves got a serious lineup i mean freddie freeman's a uh, MVP candidate. Very quietly, Marcelo Zuna was going for a triple crown, which was crazy. Uh, Acuna Jr., uh, Albies, our former friend Adam Duvall, Marcakis. I mean, this is a deep lineup. How do you think they match up? I still give the edge to Atlanta. I mean, just that lineup, I think it's the scariest on paper that the Reds could have matched up with besides maybe the Dodgers. Um, but I mean, the Reds are playing as well as anybody in baseball. And I think that gives them the confidence. I think if you win game one, I, th- I think that'll be the big one. I mean, you can't lose with Trevor Bauer on the mound, your best starter. And the, the Braves are throwing out Max Fried, who's had a great year too. But I, I think that's the biggest one. It's, it's hard to see the Reds losing two with Castillo and Gray going games two and three uh, with the Braves starting rookies. So I, I think whoever wins game one is going to win the series. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, they just have to win two games. I mean, they're going to treat it like a three-game series, like normal regular season. Obviously, it's not, but uh, you got to like their chances. I think still Atlanta probably has the edge, but you got to like their chances that you only have to win two of three to, to advance. And I, I think the Reds can, based on what they've done these last five series, they definitely can do that. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the postseason is – always almost a coin flip and it, it just feels like a like a coin flip and i will say this i think if you're the reds this is maybe the matchup you wanted i don't think you wanted to see the cubs again you guys have played them so much i i don't want to face the padres go out west go out and face the dodgers um you know i think and someone made a good point. I think it was Mo Egger who said, maybe you did want the Dodgers because it's probably going to go through the Dodgers and you'd rather have them in a three-game series. But still, like if it's advancing, I like the matchup with the Braves as much as against anybody. Yeah. Well, they've even when the Padres were down, they've never played well in San Diego. Uh, even when they go west in general, maybe outside of playing the Giants, they haven't played great so I was hoping that they didn't go west I would much rather face those teams on a neutral site even though it'll be uh if you get if you would face the Dodgers I guess it would be not till the what NLCS it's a seven game series but um 
with no fans in the stands in the playoffs, do you think the players have now adapted enough that that's not going to be a concern and it's advantage lower seed? Because all three games are going to be in Atlanta. I think it definitely neutralizes the home advantage. I mean, they'll have the artificial crowd noise. They'll have their cutouts, but they don't, I don't know if they use a grounds crew to, uh, to bang on buckets and all the other things like the Reds did. So I, I think the, the, the playoff energy of the home field advantage is going to be missing. And I think that does help the Reds a little bit. The Reds have been so reliant on the home run. In fact, it's, it's beyond that. I mean, they are the most reliant on the home run ever. Um, in the playoffs, that usually doesn't fare well. Is this Reds team going to have to play some small ball and manufacture runs to advance and not rely on the home run ball, particularly when you're facing good pitching, which you're going to face in the playoffs? I thought it was a good sign that yesterday they scored five runs without hitting a home run. Um, I don't know about small ball. I don't think you're going to see David Bell suddenly order sacrifice bunts, but they didn't have one all season. Yeah. I mean, so uh, a I lot think, of that's because there was no DH. I mean, no pitchers hitting. Right. Right. Yeah. But and I, also I do, because sacrifice bunting is stupid. But I, I think you, I think you will see uh, they're going to have to do more. I mean, Shogo Akiyama getting on base can create a lot of things mm-hmm. further down the order. So I, I, I'm not optimistic they're going to be able to, you know, kick their their addiction to the home run all of a sudden. But I think they'll they've showed they can do it other ways, especially these last two weeks. Yeah, I went through yesterday. Uh, my this is how I work because I have to write stuff down because I'm old. Um, that was their th- of the 31 wins this season. Three, they didn't hit a home run. I mean, this team has to hit dingers to win. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think that's changed. The one thing that is maybe, you know, I was going to mention this in a story today. Maybe we we're overlooking. They have hit a lot more home runs on the road. I think it was 20 or on, at home. I think it was 20 more home runs mm-hmm. at home than on the road. This is a team built for great American ballpark, both with the hitting and the dingers and also the pitching, the missing bats. This was a team built for to play half of its game in great American ballpark. Here on out, they have no more games at Great American Ballpark. All right. I do think, as you mentioned, you're facing the best pitchers, though, in the postseason. I think small ball is hard to do. I mean, grinding out at bats, and the Reds do that. I mean, they walk as much as any team in baseball. As long as you've got guys on base when you hit homers, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, you know, Atlanta's, I think, a neutral park. It's not hitter-friendly, not pitcher-friendly. Um, so, but I, I don't think it hurts them that they only hit homers just because in the postseason it's hard to get three hits against, you know, a Trevor Bauer, a Max Freed, the top relievers out of the bullpen. All right. So you guys are battle tested covering a game off of a monitor, not being there, which will be, uh, I guess the case. Any of you guys going to Atlanta? I would shake your head. Oh, Bobby's raising his hand. He's going to the ATL. What, uh, what do you think you can get out of being there? Even though you can't, uh interview the players face-to-face yeah I mean it's just you, you, you don't really get anything extra maybe it's one extra thing during the game I mean it's just like being at home games at Great American Ballpark but T- TV did a great job of catching almost everything that you see live at the park I don't I don't think it missed much wait hold on what'd you just say TV did a great job not the announcers oh the okay I was it's, I, the camera guys <laughs> Yeah, camera, camera guys did an outstanding camera job operators amazing um 
<laughs> Everybody except for Jim Day. Yeah. Couple analysts. <laughs> I get it, believe me. Uh, but no, it's been boy calling a game off of a monitor. That's a that's a whole different podcast. I might have to just do a podcast on calling a game off of a monitor. I would listen to to no honestly, I would listen to like you and Tommy and Jeff talk about that because it, it's fascinated me how you guys have been able to do that. And I, I really it's it's I mean. I'm not blowing smoke up, but I mean, it's been pretty admirable. Like, cause there are times where you could forget that, that you weren't there. Um, my, my biggest concern, and that's for us as well, is that the people who pay the bills say, Oh, it's good enough. Oh, and yeah. you know, it's, I, I've fought this many different places where I said, you know, me, Mark, Bobby, you, we've all, I've, I've said this, if you're not on the road, you're not on the beat. No, and I agree. on the road is where we get our best stories and it may not show up in that game in that one series, but it can show up, you know, years down the line. Um, I wrote a story that I really liked about um, Buddy Bell, David Bell and Gus Bell um, when right after um, David got the, the job. I think I wrote it for opening day a couple of years ago or for the start of spring training that that started at Wrigley Field, when I was sitting at Wrigley Field in the dugout after batting practice, talking to to Buddy for a half hour, that's where that story came from. All of our best stories, I, I think Mark and Bobby would would agree. All of the stories that you're really proud of, they originated usually well before the time you started it, yeah, and well before you know that time and. More often than not, it's on the road because there are fewer people around. It's more relaxed. And um, so it's it's one of those things that, like Mark said, I, I think for the most part, you know, the coverage was, was good. But it wasn't great because it couldn't be great. Yeah. I think we did as much as we could. The stories you would have had that we would have had would have been so much better in quote unquote normal times. And um for some people good is good enough and i know for the four people here none of us settle for good and no. no none of us want to be just good or good enough and i think all of us and i i know you all well enough and i've been around you guys all well long enough that all of us want to be exceptional and that's where we get our exceptional stuff well, it was much easier to call the home games when you're you're sitting there as an announcer and one thing that a lot of people don't know, we didn't talk a whole lot about it, but on TV, there was what was called a universal feed this year. So it's one crew shooting the game for both teams. So even when we were at home, we were sharing cameras with, let's say we're playing the Cardinals. The Cardinals announcers are using our feed. It's one feed. So you can't... I would normally bring up a human interest story about this or this happened... But we can't really do that because we can't show a camera shot of a sidebar story on Kyle Farmer in the middle of the game. And St. Louis is like, why are they showing Kyle Farmer who's sitting on the bench for five minutes? Or if I'm doing sidelines or whoever's doing sidelines, you can't just all of a sudden, oh, hey, there's Jim Day on camera. Why is he in St. Louis? Why is he on the St. Louis feed? So you couldn't. It was so it was just generic television. And it's. It was doable, 
but it wasn't as good as it should be. And particularly for the home broadcast, the home markets, you need to do a red-centric broadcast, and we couldn't totally do that. And I hope the bean counters realize that, that they want to have the best product they can. If you're paying that much for rights fees, you better have the best broadcast you can. So we did the best we could, but it could be better. So I'm with you. I hope it doesn't happen in 2021. What do you guys think? 2021 spring training. Are we in the clubhouse? I hope so, because I can't imagine spring training without being in there. Yeah. This would this would be impossible to set up. I mean, the spring training is just it's so much more so much different. But again, how we do our job is pretty low on their concern list. Yeah. When I it think, comes to pandemic, I think one of I think one of two things could happen. One is if we're not through this pandemic yet, we go to spring training maybe like we do, but we have to do it in a bubble situation. Or they start spring training late, let's say April or end of March and we kind of have a condensed season and we, then we're, but we are in, but we have to just wait for the vaccines to, to kick in. So I'm hoping one way or the other, we're, we're in there in 2021 and safe. Yeah. If we're in there in 2021, there are some good things happening in, in, in the world, in our country. So for many, among many reasons, including my own selfish reasons, I hope we're in there. We all have our selfish reasons, but it, It'll be an offset of what's going on in society, and we all have our fingers crossed. Obviously, baseball, low on the priority list when it comes to a pandemic and everything else that's going on in our country and in the world. So, all right, boys, it uh, has been a pleasure. Where can, uh, by the way, uh, this edition, you guys should feel special. Uh, this edition is we're going to go on the Gym Day podcast. I can't believe I'm about to say this for a little regional lightly publicized podcast we're about to go over 1 million downloads on this edition so congratulations, congratulations. you guys are involved yes. it's all mark sheldon it is mark sheldon the anticipation of mark sheldon coming back i thought about as we tape this around the noon hour i thought about you know making some pancakes or some eggs for him a little breakfast at noon but bacon i bacon. i am fading i need some i need me some lunch <laughs> I, I do remember at the end of like when spring training got shut down just kind of like how much we didn't realize how much it was going to shut everything down i remember you jim saying you didn't know if you're going to do virtual podcasts if, yes if wait till we could do face-to-face -face every yes time. I, I struggled with i made a vow that i was going to do face-to-face -face interviews because they're so much better just as we were talking about there's no comparison to sitting across from someone at doing an interview, and I had to break that, and now I'm doing about every episode, either on the phone or Zoom, but got to do what you got to do. All right, boys, working uh, people catch your work here. Let's uh, let's promote some stuff here. Bobby, where are you? Cincinnati.com? Correct, yeah. Where are you? Uh, social media, give the handles. Uh, Nightingale, so my last name with JR at the end. That's Nightingale with a, just an N. And C Trent. Well, that's it. C Trent on Twitter's uh, C Trent ATH on the Instagram for those kids. Uh, not that I've had anything interesting to Instagram. The uh, gram. Unless you want my backyard. Uh, also, theathletic.com and uh, WARP in Cincinnati is that podcast. And uh, also the regular theathletic.com. Love the name WARP. In Cincinnati. 
All right, Sheldon. We're at MLB.com, Reds.com. MLB.com, Reds.com. M underscore Sheldon on Twitter, at Sheldon MLB on Instagram. And you can also find me on Facebook and catch up with all the stories. So, uh, But thanks for everyone for uh, reading us this year. Yep, and a big old plate of bacon will be coming your way for doing this podcast. We know peanut butter and bacon better. sandwich. Uh, That's just low rent bacon. It's Gosh. it's nice that like among everything that's changed this year, the jokes have not. They have been <laughs> they have the same not. for about ten years. Same so stale jokes. We get a couple ones. Mark's pool. Um, all the that? other jokes. How is that pool? Is it green yet? Well, I let it go green because this, as as you can tell, it's still chilly to swim. But I got tell you what, I had the best pool situation I could have asked for during a pandemic. So I, it was blue most of the time. I noticed none of us got the just invite. like our jokes. Yeah, no one got the invite to come over to your crystal blue pool. Nope. I understand. You don't want <laughs> you don't want my cooties. I get it. All right, boys, uh, it's been fun. We'll be checking out your work uh, into the playoffs. We hope it's a, a long run. And once again, thanks for coming back on the Gym Day podcast. You can check me out on Twitter and the gram at Gym Day TV at both places. As always, thanks for checking us out. Thanks for clicking on us. We've gone over a million downloads a million times. This thing's been clicked on. I can't believe it. And we thank you. Who knows what's happening down the road. We will see you next time here on the Gym Day Podcast. So long, everyone.